This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. I think it is a win-win for both of our countries, our very strong security allies, to get these tariffs lifted. And that is what we are working towards. And that is what will happen. So that's uh, Foreign Affairs Minister Chrystia Freeland, who is in Washington in Washington for an event to mark the 70th anniversary of NATO and the NATO alliance. And sort of using that to underscore just how odd it is to still have steel and aluminum tariffs in place due to national security reasons. And, I mean, it speaks to to the challenges, I I think, of having a a more unconventional and protectionist president who, uh, on the one hand, has tried to push NATO allies to upping their defense spending, but also questioned uh, the worthiness and and whether NATO still has a place, questioning even the U.S. commitment to the NATO alliance. I think NATO is one of those issues where there really is more or less a political consensus in Canada on foreign policy, that NATO matters, that NATO is important, uh, and we need to try to preserve the alliance. But there are questions about, well, does it still make sense? In a post-Cold War world, what is the relevance of NATO in 2019, or for that matter, over the next 70 years? Joining us to talk a bit more about uh, these questions, these challenges, very pleased to welcome back to the program Stephanie Carvin, Assistant Professor of International Relations at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Professor Carvin, great to have you back with us here. Welcome to the program. Hey, always a pleasure to be on the show. So how strained is NATO these days? How strong is the alliance as you see it? It's a great question. I think in some ways we're appreciating it more than ever. And, but that's because the alliance itself is under a lot of stress. And that's largely due to uh, President Trump and his occasional threats that the U.S. is going to pull out of NATO. And that would really undermine a pillar of basically North American security that's lasted, again, for the last 70 years. So, you know, I think actually, you know, apparently some journalists are reporting that people are really relieved that, you know, they had a ministerial today in Washington, and apparently it was quite boring, (laughs) and everyone was a bit relieved, because (laughs) lately when it's been exciting, it's been uh, not for the right reasons. So I think, you know, it, it is People are understanding the value of the institution, I think, uh, for a number of reasons. One, because Trump is basically threatening to get rid of it, but also because we've seen the, the rise of a number of threats. And one is um, the threat of the Islamic State. Um, there's been mass migration, and I'm not suggesting that, you know, my, migrants are, uh, you know, necessarily a national security threat, but, like, there's been boats coming, that mm-hmm. need, and, you know, you need to patrol the, um, the southern coast of Europe. There is, of course, uh, a very... Um, uh, aggressive Russia, shall we say. And also, you know, I was in uh, Europe this past November talking with uh, former NATO officials, and they were saying, honestly, the next big thing for NATO in the next 70 years is really China. 
the rise of China and protecting the West um, if things kind of go badly with with kind of relationship between China and the West. So that's kind of why NATO remains very important today. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting when you look at Trump, because at, at times it seems like bluster, you know, and he seems to get distracted by other issues, and, and maybe that everybody else in Washington, you know, says, look, we, we support NATO, don't don't make too much of this guy. But, I mean, there have been times where he's directly questioned Article 5, the collective defense provision of NATO, which is kind of at the core. So, I mean, is it is it typical Trump bluster, or do you think the Americans are having any kind of serious rethink about this alliance? are a lot of Americans who look at this and say, look, we're clearly funding this enterprise. Mm-hmm. What is our return on investment? And, you know, I, so I understand their frustration. At the same time, I would say your return on investment is that we haven't had a war in Europe really since 1945. I mean, there was, of course, difficulties in the Balkans, which NATO was a part of. But, you know, we were able to kind of help clamp down on that before it turned into something worse. Um, so I think this is why, you know, it, it, you know um, when times are peaceful, people say, well, why, why do we need this institution? Um, that's why, because um, basically the whole idea of NATO is that it's, it is a, a defensive alliance and can help prevent um, armed conflict right. between the West and other countries. Well, because, yeah, and then I guess in that sense, I mean, there are those who say it was a Western defensive uh, alliance against communist aggression, which is no longer a threat, versus it's a Western alliance, and that was the threat at the time, and now we have different threats. So, I mean, is is NATO still relevant in a long past the end of the Cold War? I think it's really had to um, uh, deal with with that issue in particular. And really, it was in 2014, um, they had a summit in Wales where a lot of decisions were making to try and modernize the organization itself and to try and modernize the way it looked at some of these threats. So it's actually made, I would say, a lot of progress in terms of adapting itself. We now have, of course, um, NATO countries leading the um, Eastern Forward Presence. Uh, in a number of countries, again, to try and provide reassurance to countries uh, along, you know, the Russian border. Um, so deterrence is back in a very big way, particularly uh, after Crimea. Um, NATO is now also helping to fund a center on hybrid uh, hybrid warfare. Basically, there's the uh, center, the Hybrid Warfare Center of Excellence, which is based in Helsinki, Finland. And they do research on helping to prepare democracies for interference in their news and their elections. And I know for a fact that those that, that NATO-funded center is helping Canada prepare for its 2019 elections as well. Mm. So, you know, they are, that, that NATO is actually helping Canada secure democracy as we speak. They've, they've sent individuals over. Um, so, you know, I think it is doing a good job. Like with anything, you know, it's always hard to, to turn a ship on a dime, but it, it's getting there because it has to. Um, there really isn't a lot in the way of alternatives. There is, of course, a European um, defense agency, and they, they work on things. But um, really, it's NATO's kind of where it's at in terms of European defense and security. Right. And it wasn't really the U.S. doing Europe a favor. I mean, you know, and previous American presidents have made the case very well that it's very much in the U.S. interest. And yeah, and that's exactly right. Because like, as I said earlier, if you have, um, you know, conflict that breaks out in Europe, 
um, then you really do have a, a bad situation. You have, you know, it, it's proven to go very badly in two world wars. Um, also, you know, it was, a, you know, the United States was able to base some of its forces in Europe. It was protecting Europe, but it was also protecting America as well by having its forces stationed abroad. So, yeah, no, I mean, it really is a, truly a partnership. It's just unfortunate because, you know, President Trump tends to look at these things in very narrow transactional means. He doesn't understand the value beyond um, the bottom line. He doesn't understand the that, va- you know, he's not someone who appreciates the value of, of democracy. He doesn't understand the value of, of international friendships. And that's been very clear, even in his dealings with Canada. So yeah. I think, you know, it's, it, that's, that's the unfortunate bit, but uh, prior presidents have, hopefully a lot of the senators still do in the United States. And hopefully um, the United States will not be leaving NATO anytime well, and again, I mean, look, if we, if we look at Russia and, and, you know, why Russia might be interested in, in meddling in, in Western democracies, what, what might be part of their agenda? Certainly undermining NATO is a clear Russian objective, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. I mean, like if anyone's happy about this, it's definitely Putin. And I think this is this is the other thing that I think NATO is dealing with that, you know, it's a little bit more complex. There's the Trump issue, which is at the forefront of everyone's mind. There's another issue that's happening right now, too, though, is that you're seeing the election of increasingly authoritarian leadership or uh, political parties in Eastern European countries, uh, whether it's Hungary, Poland, um, you know, uh, different kind of, uh, of Eastern European states. And the problem with this is that if these countries... You know, I think there's a there's a value in having NATO as a democratic alliance or an alliance of democracies. It wasn't always like that. It wasn't meant to be about democracy. It was really about defending the West. And certainly Greece was a member. Turkey was a member when they were under military leadership. But, you know, by the 1990s, you could actually say NATO was a country, you know, it was an alliance of democracies. And what I worry about is that that kind of important fact is under threat. Because you see the rise of authoritarian populist governments in Eastern Europe. And then NATO kind of goes back to this, you know, well, well, what really is it? It's just kind of an anti-Russia alliance. And I think that actually makes it weaker in the long run. So I think this is actually a a more difficult issue than even Trump. Because Trump is not going to be forever. Trump is going to be somewhere for the next um, two to two to six years. Uh, But there's this kind of longer term consequence, I think, if, you know, Europe, uh, parts of Europe really kind of go back from being full democracies to maybe quasi democracies. I think that's actually almost like a bigger, more strategic problem with the alliance in the long run. I think that's true. And then, I mean, there's, there's also the Turkey issue. And, oh, God, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm all for the NATO <laughs> alliance. I'm just, I'd feel a lot more comfortable maybe if, if Turkey wasn't a part of it. Well, I think, you know, we've had this issue before. And again, like Turkey's gone through numerous military coups throughout its history. This is something very different. Um, and it's interesting, uh, you know, Erdogan actually fought off a military coup not so long ago. But, you know, they just had elections in that country and his political party just suffered um, what looks like to have been significant losses. So we'll see uh, what, you know, in, in the city, not necessarily in the government. So we'll see what actually happens with, with Turkey going forward. But I agree with you. That is, you know, along with Hungary and Poland is actually probably the, the one of the biggest internal problems that they actually have right now. Yeah. And to the point where actually I believe the United States is no longer even selling the uh, F-35 to Turkey. 
Yeah. Who knows? Maybe Canada can pick up on the board. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I also want to ask you while we have you on. I mean, uh, Canada has made the decision that our, our participation in the UN peacekeeping mission in Mali is going to come to an end. Uh, I mean, it, it maybe reinforces the notion that some have that it was all just for optics, that, that we care about UN peacekeeping, look at us. But were we really committed to that mission? How important was that mission? Y- your thoughts on, on the fact that uh, it's coming to an end? pretty sad about this because the UN did ask us to extend the mission mm-hmm. and, and let's be clear what the mission was. We weren't we didn't have troops on the ground. We had a number of helicopters in the area and as well as a plane that was helping um you know with resources back and forth and troops back and forth and things like that. We never didn't we didn't actually have a presence on the ground. And Mali is you know a lot of the, the you know the briefings I've received from uh, the Department of National Defense here basically you know they're telling me that it's uh, you know, worse than Afghanistan uh, in terms of its complexity, in terms of its violence, in terms of the conditions on the ground, uh, the hostile terror, like not just hostile terror, I mean, like environmentally, like it's 50 degrees. There are yeah. bugs the size of a Mars bar uh, that are biting you. Um, it is a rough place to be. Um, and on top of that, you basically have an ethnic conflict, which if you layer on top of that, a, a terrorist insurgency from kind of Islamic State and Al-Qaeda inspired individuals who are also fighting each other so i mean that is the nature of the conflict so i don't want to downplay the the difficulty in managing something like that but we had a number of helicopters there canadian troops were basically saving lives and we we didn't have troops on the ground but what we did do is um the other western countries that did have forces on the ground particularly the dutch and the germans when they went out and did their patrols they felt secure because they knew if someone got hurt they were going to get some of the best medical treatment in the world and they, we had helicopters that were basically flying hospitals where people were having surgery performed on them by some of the world's best uh, you know anesthesiologists and, and surgeons while they're being flown back to safety uh, i'm told the canadians never lost a single soldier or personnel when they were actually in the air that you know they saved countless lives on at least nine different i think six, or at least six different occasions so um, we were doing really, really good work there. Um, I don't want to downplay the danger of it, but we didn't actually have troops on the ground, so it was about as safe as it could possibly be. But it was extremely important work, and I really regret the fact that uh, this mission wasn't extended. But even worse is we're not even being told why it wasn't extended. I understand SNC-Lavalin is sucking up all the oxygen and everything, right. but this was a really important contribution, and frankly, I think Canadians deserve at least an explanation. Well, I think they do. But, I mean, the other question about it, and as you describe it, 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 it may be important, but is it actually peacekeeping? What does that term even mean anymore? Yeah, it was not peacekeeping. Um, and, and I think that's actually clear in the, in the U.N. operation. I believe it's operating under, for all the, all the United Nations nerds out there, uh, what's called the Chapter 7 mandate. So it's a, it's a peace enforcement operation, mm-hmm. which is, actually allows you to use force. Um, so, yeah, no, it, it wasn't peacekeeping in that way. But what it was doing was uh, the Canadian mission was basically a non-combat role. We were, you know, sometimes I guess you'd have to take defensive action because there's people in that zone with, with a, a whole variety of military equipment. But at the end of the day, you have this, you know, military mission that is supporting Western troops that are that are putting their lives on the line, frankly, um, in order to try and at least bring a certain amount of stability to one of the most difficult places on earth right now. 
And, and yeah, so I, is it peacekeeping? No. Is it peace enforcement? Yes. Were we redoing the fighting? No. Were we supporting the people who were? Yes. So I think that's, that's it. So I think, you know, I, I just, it makes me sad that, you know, this, on the one hand, you have people who are kind of, um, uh, you know, kind of rolling their eyes at the idea of peacekeeping. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you have people saying, well, we shouldn't be anywhere near such a dangerous conflict. I actually think, you know, we found a happy medium in a way to kind of do a little bit of good in one of the, one of the one of the more dangerous places on earth and and you know the fact that we were doing it so well and um you know i i'm I'm so proud of the, the, the soldiers who and the, and the medical teams, the helicopter pilots that were doing it. It really is an untold story, the, the good that they're doing. And I actually get like goosebumps when I think about it because of, of how well they did their jobs. And it sounds a little ridiculous. And I'm an academic and I'm not supposed to feel this way all the time. But they did. They actually, you know, Canadians were doing a good thing. And um, I'm just kind of shocked that this, A, it, you know, it just didn't get a lot of press. But, you know, what's worse is that you know, this mission has come to an abrupt halt despite the United Nations asking us to hold out for just three more months. And I don't know why the, and I, I honestly don't know if there was a legitimate reason why we said no, but uh, it, it seems to me that we're turning, you know, we have the slogan, Canada's back. No, we're not. <laughs> you know, this is ridiculous. And I, I'm just very disappointed. And yeah. maybe that shows. <laughs> no, well, no, well said. Stephanie, we'll leave it there. Always appreciate the insight. Uh, thanks so much for joining us here today. Hey, anytime. Thanks for having me on All right, again. appreciate it. Uh, Stephanie Carvin, uh, Assistant Professor of International Relations, Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.